This morning we'll just be looking at verses 23 through 25. And he said to all, If any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake, he will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and lose or forfeits himself? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning, I'd like to begin a new sermon series entitled Dreams and Visions. The title comes from the book of Acts, second chapter, the 17th verse. Peter is going to be preaching on the day of Pentecost, and it is on that day that he will quote the prophet Joel, and he says, And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Pentecost is 50 days after Easter. We're going to be celebrating Pentecost in about two weeks. It is the time in which we believe that God poured out His Holy Spirit, and these thousands came and joined together, and we call it the birthday of the church, as people joined into a family of faith. It's a time in which we celebrate how God does pour out His Holy Spirit upon all flesh, young and old, to give us a vision of what life can be, to give us dreams of all that we could accomplish and do. And so I want us to start because I I looked at what was going to happen over these next four or five weeks. We've got Confirmation Sunday. We have Mother's Day. We have Disciple. We have a graduation. We have Memorial Day. And I thought, we need to be looking at visions and dreams all about life that come about because of God's Holy Spirit. So that's what we're going to start to do today. And I thought it was very appropriate to start that on Confirmation Sunday because it is such a significant Sunday. As I said, with all of these 35 different youth across our campuses coming and professing their faith as a disciple of Jesus Christ, what a significant and high moment in a person's life, and in the life of the church. I was very blessed about two weeks ago to be in Lafayette, Colorado. It's right outside of Denver. It's where my daughter and son-in-law, Kelly and Andy, live, and our four grandchildren. And it was our oldest grandson, Luke, who is now 13, and he was going to be confirmed. We were able to be there for that. And as I'm there sitting out in the, the audience grandkids calling all over me and watching Luke take his vows. It was a very special moment, a powerful morning. It was a time in which we came together and I thought back about how 13 years before they stood right here where Philip and Heather were standing this morning and taking that same vow that said, will you keep this child under the ministry and the guidance of the church until he by the power of God, shall accept for himself the gift of salvation and be confirmed as a full and responsible member of Christ's Holy Church. 
That's a significant commitment to make. Kelly and Andy certainly did it. They've taken their children to church. They go to vacation Bible school. They read the Bible stories. When they're going somewhere, they have on Christian music. They sing in the car. They say their prayers. You create this environment. But in the end, it's through the power of God's Spirit that an individual must choose to be a disciple, to be a follower of Christ. And so I sat there where you are, just as we're going to be doing in a few moments, giving vows to our youth, listening to them say, yes, this is what I will do. And as we listen, as I was listening, I was thinking, what does it really mean? What is it they're saying? And it occurred to me that, you know, our youth have all worked hard, just like Luke had to learn the creeds and the beliefs and to learn some good theology. But that's not really what confirmation is about. When you come to confirmation, when you come and make a commitment to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, it's not so much about what you believe. It's a commitment about how you're going to live. You're making a statement of, this is how I will live. In our scripture lesson this morning, Jesus said to those who are following him, whoever would come after me, let him deny himself. Pick up his cross daily and follow me. To pick up your cross daily. It's not something you do once and you get confirmed and great, I said I believe this. No, it's about a choice daily about how you're going to live. Let him deny himself. To deny yourself means I'm going to look at myself and say, I'm not the center of the universe. The world is not going to be all about me being happy, me getting what I want, me finding pleasure. No, I'm willing to set that aside if necessary in order to do what God asked me to do. We read our Wesley Covenant prayer just a few moments ago. And Wesley wanted people, Methodists, to read that prayer every time we start a new year to recommit ourselves. God, lift me up or bring me down. Celebrate me or not. What you want to deny oneself, pick up your cross daily and follow me. This isn't about saying our kids now have all the answers to the theological questions. It's about saying, I am going to live my life a certain way as a disciple of Jesus Christ. I thought about Jesus saying in his own day, you know, there were 613 laws. Confirmands, you're getting off easy. There were 613 laws you were supposed to know as a good Jew to be able to follow in order to be a righteous person. And so one day they came to Jesus and said, what do you think is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and all the prophets. Everything else you're going to learn, everything else you're going to hear, it all comes back to, are you going to love God and are you going to love your neighbor? Confirmands, 
when you come and say today you're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, to all of us who have already made a commitment to be a disciple, we've made a commitment about how we're going to live. That's what I want us to think about this morning. I just want to share with you two thoughts about what I believe that means. If you decide to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you're going to be a follower, then you commit to love your neighbor. Remember, Jesus said, by this all people will know that you're my disciple if you have love for one another. Now, I hope all your life you were learning and growing, discovering what you believe, put together a systematic theology. I loved systematic theology. I loved seminary and studying. I hope you're taking Bible studies and learning and growing. But you know, the church has gone through times when we get torn apart and we argue, well, I believe this and I believe that and I think this and I think that. And so often it's all those beliefs that nobody knows for sure that tears us apart. What matters? Do you love the Lord your God? Do you love your neighbor as yourself? I've been talking some about Fred Rogers this year. Fred Rogers of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. You know, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood was such an iconic show and ran for decades. Fred died several years ago now. But he is still remembered and his show still runs. So many generations grew up with him and he had such an impact. He, he was a Presbyterian minister and that's where he served in a children's television show, not on the issue of some church. But Fred now is going to have a stamp coming out this year with his likeness on it by the United States Post Office. They're making a movie about his life right now. Tom Hanks is playing the part of Fred Rogers. Should come out by the end of the year. Now we're going to be hearing a lot about Fred Rogers. And I, I was going back and remembering one of the stories he told about his childhood. When he was growing up in elementary school. He grew up outside of Pittsburgh. And he was an only child. And he said as a child, what well, he loved reading books. He loved music. He was shy. And he said he was pudgy. Now, I have a hard time believing Fred Rogers was ever pudgy. But that's how he describes himself as a kid growing up. And he said he will never forget as a child coming home from school. He was walking home alone and he could hear some footsteps behind him. And he walked a little faster, and they walked a little faster. And he walked a little faster, and they walked a little faster. Finally, he turned around, and here were these bullies, and they all said, We're going to get you, Fat Freddy. We're going to get you, Fat Freddy. And Fred said he turned, and he ran for everything he was worth, and he got all the way home and ran to his room, and he cried and cried. And he said that happened day after day. It was so hard. He started reading, trying to read about other people who might be like him, shy, more introverted. He was reading stories, trying to find some sort of help. He read the story of the little prince. He read a line that he would remember for the rest of his life, a line that said, the essence of what is important is invisible to the eye. The essence of what is important is invisible to the eye. 
He started looking more deeply into himself and trying to look into the lives of others. He got to junior high. And in junior high, like any junior high boy, you know, you want to be buff. And so he went and got the Charles Atlas program. Those of you who laughed are my age. (laughs) You know the Charles Atlas program. Those of you who are younger have no idea what I'm talking about. To make a relation, what you need to think about is Bowflex. You see it advertised on TV, six equal payments, and in six weeks, you'll be buff. Well, that was the Charles Atlas program as well. Needless to say, it didn't work for Fred Rogers. Uh, He never wound up looking buff. No, nothing changed his life until the ninth grade. In the ninth grade, he had a friend, Jim Stumball. Jim was Mr. Outgoing. He played football. He was Mr. Popular. And he got hurt. It was in the hospital. Well, Fred and Jim went to the same church. They didn't really know each other or hang out with each other. But they, he knew who he was. And so Fred agreed to take his books and his homework assignments to go to, to Jim. And so he started going to the hospital every day, taking the homework, taking his assignments. And the two of them started to talk. And they began to see the essence, the things that are important that are invisible to the eye, to look into each other's soul. Then one day, Fred finally decided to be honest, and he said, you know, I'm always picked on. and People bully me. I feel so alone. It's miserable. And it was Jim who spoke up and said, my father died two years ago, and I still grieve. I miss him so much and I still cry, but I never let anybody see. I miss him so much. As they begin to share the essence of their souls, these two boys became friends. And when Jim got out of the hospital, there was a different relationship now. He went back to school and he said to all of his friends, lay off this Rogers kid. He's a good guy. Be nice to him. He started inviting Fred to come and to be a part of events that he thought Fred might enjoy. And the other kids started getting to know him and what he was like. And that confidence gave Fred to kind of start coming out of his shell and trying new things. And by his senior year, Fred Rogers was elected president of the student council. He was editor of the yearbook. Suddenly he had all these friends and was doing new things. And you look at where Fred's life would go and he would look back and say, it all happened because of a transforming friendship. Because I wound up having a friend who was kind, who spoke a word, who helped me. And I thought, that's what God is asking out of each of us. To be that person who has a kind word. The person who's there to encourage, to give a hand. The person who is there to help someone so they're not alone. Do you believe that God can use you every day to do something kind?
that the words you speak matter? The compliment you give, the helping hand, it makes a difference? You know, you and I live in a world right now to where there can be such meanness, such bullying going on. We see it in the social media. We see it with what our children have to deal with, not just in junior and senior high, but in elementary school, the the bullying that can go on, the name calling that goes on. And you see it not just among our children. You see it in sports and you see it in the news and you see it in the halls of Congress. Let me tell you, calling people names is not acceptable. You and I can't stop other people from doing it. But we don't do it. That's not who we are as the disciples of Jesus Christ who have committed ourselves to love your neighbor. You choose to be kind, to look for the essence of what is important that is invisible to the eye. As a follower of Christ, we do it different. It was here in this sanctuary just a few weeks ago that I conducted a funeral of Dan Leffler, a member of our church. He was 40 years old. Dan was married to Allison. They have two small children, Harry, Leah. He had developed cancer. He fought it bravely for two years and until just a few weeks ago he lost his battle. When you're a young father and you know you're going to die, you start thinking about your children and growing up without you. And he wanted so much to say things for them, to give them guidance and, and help them in the years to come. Things at this moment, it wasn't about now, it's about three years from now and five years from now and ten years from now. Things he wanted them to know and to say. And so he sat down and he wrote a book just for his children, for Harry and for Leah, to express the things that mattered to him, the things he believed were important that they do. I was privileged to be given a copy so that I could read it to help prepare for his service. And when I read through it, it it really touched me. I shared some at the funeral service, but I, I asked Allison if I could share them with you today. Dan would write, Micah 6.8 was important enough to your mother and me that it was one of the verses in our wedding. And what does the Lord require of you, O mortal, but to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God? For me, it's the combination of doing justice and loving mercy all cloaked in humility, which speaks to me. I hope for both of you that this verse is one you take to heart for a lifetime. And what are some of the ways that you can do justice and love mercy as a young person? Even though you may feel limited in some ways, there are plenty of ways you can. Don't let your youth be an impediment to working on social justice issues. You can take mercy on people who you have social power over, like befriending less popular kids in school. And I want to emphasize this. Few things in the world would make make me prouder than if you stood up against bullies, especially on behalf of those that can't defend themselves. My heart would just sing with pride if I heard that about you. I would know that we had raised you right. Besides being the right thing to do, I think you'll find that working for justice 
for what's fair and right on others' behalf is most rewarding. As those who are the followers of Christ, we are called to love our neighbor. To let God use us each day to be kind. For the kindness that you perform, that you offer, it's never lost. Jesus said, by this all people will know that you're my disciples. If you have love for one another. It's not about what you believe. It's going to be what do you do. And when you come and profess your faith today, you're making a commitment that you will love your neighbor. Secondly, when you profess your faith in Christ and you choose to be a disciple, then you're committing you're going to love God with your whole heart. That God is going to be the center of your life. That God matters to you. Just like our Wesley Covenant prayer we prayed, Oh God, do you need to lift me up or bring me down? You want to use me for glory or for not? Whatever it is, oh God, I love you so much. You're the center of my life. If you love the Lord your God with your whole heart and mind and soul and strength, you can be sure that God is going to give you dreams and vision of who you can be and how God wants to use you. And if you follow those dreams, if you strive to be that person God calls you to be, you can be sure there's going to be success and joy and failure and pain. To all of you who are coming to confirmation at such a wonderful age, I want to say to you clearly, life is not going to work out the way you plan. There will be joy. There will be success. But I can assure you, there will be failure. And there will be pain and disappointment. That's life. And it's when you experience that disappointment and that pain that if you love God with your whole heart, what you're going to find is you have a strength from beyond yourself So that when the nights are dark, you don't quit. You don't quit. Because you have faith. And we know the word faith means trusting in God's constant love of us, His children. Faith is not a set of beliefs. Faith is trusting in God's mystery. And when you love God with your whole heart and you trust in that mystery, you trust in that love, then when life gets hard and unfair, you will find you are stronger than you ever dreamed you could be. You don't quit. I've been reading about a lady named Allison Massari. Fascinating lady. I had read about her years ago, and her story I thought was very interesting and amazing, 20 years later now, it really is. It turns out that Allison Massari is now 52. It was on May the 11th, 1998, 30 years ago, almost to the day, that her life changed in an instant. You see, Allison was an artist. She loved to paint. She could sculpt her. 
her parents lived down in Florida and they were going on vacation and they asked Allison if she would come and, and she would house sit. And so she was there alone. Her parents were gone and she was going to go to a movie that night. She'd gone by the art store to pick up a lot of art supplies and she was driving home when a driver coming the other way at 60 miles an hour suddenly crossed over the center line and they hit head on. The crash was horrendous. The cars exploded. Gas everywhere, fire everywhere. And as it began to burn this car to nothing, there were turpentine in the back that she'd gotten for art supplies that began blowing up and throwing flames 20 feet in the air. People all huddled around, but you couldn't get near with the flames and then the car and the explosions. And I mean, they knew no one could be alive in there. But Allison was. She was conscious through the whole thing. And she's in this car and the door is jammed and the window will not come down. And then she catches on fire. She knows she's going to die. And she thought the interesting thing was in that moment of such agony and fear and knowing she was going to die, she said she found herself praying And it was, oh God, don't let me die alone. There was something about being alone, trapped in this car on fire. When suddenly she turned to the window and there was this face pressed up against the window. Roger Pepper had been coming the other way. He saw the accident. He too knew no one could have survived. But he got out of his car and came through the flames all the way to the car and looked inside. And Allison said, our eyes met and there was this connection. And he began to scream for her to turn her face. And she turned back into the flames as he kicked in the window. And Roger said, it was like God was pushing her out as I began to pull. I never dreamed I could get her out that window. But he pulled her out onto the ground, drug her across the road with all the glass and the gravel to get her away from the car. She was on fire and he began using his hands to put the fire out. She had second and third degree burns over 50% of her body. The firefighters came and took her to Tampa General Hospital. She'd be in the burn unit for 40 days numerous surgeries, but they finally decided she was going to live. Over the next several years, there would be multiple surgeries and physical therapy. She'd be in the hospital more than 400 days. But when she'd gotten strong enough to leave the hospital, the pain was excruciating. Her world had been changed so much. She and her father went out to their vacation home in Edwards, Colorado, And there the two of them went. He was a physician. And they began trying to research about burn centers across America. And where would they go to try to find the best help? And Allison said she had a crisis of faith. She had grown up a good Catholic. She had a strong faith. But now she began to doubt. She started asking, why? 
Why, God, did this happen to me? Why did this have to happen? Why did you let this happen? And she said, God seems so far away. And then she read this book by Rabbi Harold Kushner, Why Bad Things Happen to Good People. And she realized that she was asking the wrong question. The question was not why. The question had to be, so God, what's next? So God, how do I get my life back? So God, where do we go from here? And she said when she began to pray that, God became so real. Her recovery would take years. She would have to struggle physically, emotionally. It was such a journey. But 20 years later, Alison Massari is an artist again. She paints, she sculpts. She is a person who's become a motivational speaker and one of the most requested across America. Because she talks about what she learned through the journey. And some of the lessons she learned in the journey that she talks about are, I learned the importance of human touch. How nobody wants to be alone. And I think about all the people who were so kind to me. And she said, I now stand ready forever to be kind each day. It's one of the secrets to healing and happiness. But she said another thing she learned was, you are stronger than you ever believe. Stronger than you can ever imagine. When you trust in God's grace, when you trust in that mystery, you find a strength you didn't know you had. So that when the nights are dark, And you're in that time of suffering and pain. You still have hope. You don't quit. Confirmands, when you come and make your commitment to be a disciple of Jesus Christ today, it's not about all those beliefs you learned, all that theology you've learned. I hope you keep growing and keep learning But today, the commitment you make is about how you're going to live. For whoever would follow me must deny himself, pick up his cross daily, and follow me. For Jesus said, by this all people will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. The most important thing you can do is to love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. And if you make that commitment, I am sure that God is going to give you dreams and visions. It's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer.
Amen.